So I heard Max Licato share recently about um, his friend Dan. He, he, Max and Dan would run, were running buddies together, and they ran quite a bit together. And uh, until uh, Max's own words, Max's own words, he said, "I got older, but Dan got stronger." And uh, Dan did not use time and dates and age to defy him, define him. He used it to defy. It was his goal to to say, I am not going to live at that age. I'm going to conquer that. And one of the ways he did that is he, he, he said, okay, I'm going to run an Ironman triathlon. Now, I have nothing inside of me that says I want to do that. At my age, younger or older, do I want to put my body through all that an Ironman triathlon uh, triathlete has to go through? 2.4 miles of swimming, get out of the water in a quick transition onto your bikes for a 112-mile bike ride up and down hills and around and, and all, to only finish, only to finish with a marathon, a full marathon of 2.6, uh, 26.2 uh, miles. And that's what an Ironman is. And, and so Dan had this novel idea that he was going to run it. So he entered into Lake Placid's um, Ironman triathlon, which if you know anything about Lake Placid, New York, upstate New York, small village community, but yet it's hosted the Winter Olympics in the 1930s and even in 1980. And so it's, it's been a, a popular place for Winter Olympics, which when you think Winter Olympics, you think of mountains and hills and elevations. And that's, the, that's where Dan was going to go run his or compete in his triathlon. And so he goes and he signs up and he goes and he competes in it. And uh, the population of, of, of Lake Placid is actually, this little small village, is only about 2,500 people. So it's not even a huge community of uh, which it, it, it's gathered in. But the, everybody in the town, I mean, this Ironman is known for everyone in the community committing themselves, being a part of the whole, the whole competition. And so... On the day of the race, everyone that's a non-essential worker on that day closes their business and heads to the football stadium where they are there to receive the athletes when they enter into the stadium, when they cheer them on, all that kind of stuff. Well, Dan starts the race at 8 a.m., competes in the race, is the slagger at the end, can't, has a hard time finishing it, says that he talked about his joints aching, his bones aching, his muscles cramping, blisters on his feet. Everything inside of him said, quit. And I, mine says, don't even enter. Uh, so whatever he, he's, he's thinking, I, but I've got to, I got to finish somehow, some way. And so he's within a half a mile of the football stadium and he sees the lights in the distance. And he begins to pick up his steps. He begins to run a little bit faster. And then he hears the cheering of the crowds of the people. He, so he runs a little bit faster and a little bit more proud, throws back his shoulders a little bit and begins to run. And then he enters into the stadium and, and the lights and the, and, and, and the crowd and the roar of the people. And he hears over the loudspeaker. Now, he's one of the last ones there, okay? He's one of the last ones, but the crowd is still, the stadium is still full. Now entering the stadium 
From San Antonio, Texas, Dan Smith and the crowd erupts in a roar and he's running by children and men and women he's never seen before. And they're yelling, Dan, Dan, Dan. And he is go. And the last mile of the marathon, you actually run in the stadium and you run four laps around the track. And that's exactly what he does. And all along the way, they're yelling for him. They're yelling for him. Dan, Dan, people he's never even seen before. Takes you to Hebrews chapter 12 when it says, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. When I think about the parallels between Dan Smith and the Ironman and Lake Placid, and I think about me running a race or trying to run a race, there's a lot of similarities. Achy bones, muscles, blisters, want to quit, want to give up. But just to think that one day I will cross the finish line and people that I've never seen before, ever met before, they're going to be yelling my name as I enter the stadium in a great cloud of witnesses. And they're going to be yelling, Mike, Mike, Mike. I, I, I can only imagine heaven will be like that. I can only imagine the finish line of life will be like that. As we sit here and we talk about the chase, as we talk about pursuing, as we talk about running, we need to think about what are we chasing? What are we running after? And I think we hear a challenge in Hebrews here. He says, set your eyes. Set your gaze, set your affection, set your, your, your attentions, set your intention on Jesus, who is the founder of this whole thing. This entire race called life, he's the founder of it. And not only that, he's perfected it. And let us run a race in such a way that at the end, there will be a great cloud of witnesses yelling out our names. But the thing is, is I'm afraid some of us, as you answered in your own words last week, as I put a survey out there for you and I ask you, give me one word that describes you right now. And this is what you said overwhelmingly in the survey. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. I can't run anymore. I don't, I, I've got blisters on my feet. I've got achy bones. I've got hurt joints. And I, and I, and I asked this question of myself and I asked this question of you as we're all sitting here on the same journey of life together. What race am I in? What am I after? And, and at the end, when I cross the finish line, what will I hear? Will I hear, well done, thy good and faithful servant? Enter into rest. Because even now, if I run the race that Jesus is calling me to run, I don't know that, yes, it's it tire, at times exhausting and yes, it's at times tiring, but I wonder if that should define me. If that should be how I would classify myself, if that's really the life that, that the chase is about because I'm pursuing the life that God intended for me and whenever he tells me to come to me, all who are weary, heavy laden, and let's just say exhausted, and I will give you, what does he say? Rest. I will give you rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Take it upon you. 
And as we talk about running this race and, and being in this chase and that Jesus is the founder and that we're running, uh, pursuing the life that God intended for us, I would hope that we would t- stop the madness today, stop the race today and say, what race am I in? Am I in the right race with the right finish line and the right perfecter and the founder of the, of the race to begin with? Jesus has two words, the combination, if you will, of what it means to be in this race and to run it well. Here they are. Don't miss them. Two words. Follow me. Follow me. The one who is the founder of this race of life, the one who's the perfecter of this life, has one invitation, if you will. Follow me. If you follow me, doesn't mean it's all going to be peaches and cream. Doesn't mean it's all going to be easy. Doesn't mean you're not going to have bumps in the road. But listen, you follow me and it will go the direction that it was intended to go. Okay? And Jesus came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. I'll tell you what, I'll take my Jesus' worst day in my life compared to my best day that I could create. Living out his plan for my life will bring me far greater satisfaction and completeness in in life. There's a a major cavity that needs a filling today, if I can use the dentist phrase here, that we need to fill this cavity, this this bad thoughts and ideas. And this is is the thought. Call it a verb, call it a noun. I believe, so therefore I'm a Christian. Because there's a lot in this room today that might, they might say something like that. I believe I'm a Christian. I believe I'm a Christian. They think if they sprinkle a little pixie dust of belief on their life, it doesn't matter how they live. It doesn't really matter what happens. It doesn't really matter. They can kind of do their, hey, after all, I'm a Christian. Okay? I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to in life that when I talk to them and I ask them about their relationship with God, and I ask them and I ask them about their eternal destiny and any sense of security and relationship with God, that they'll say something like this. Oh, oh, Mike, I prayed the prayer. I prayed the prayer. Now, I like playing with them, okay? Because what I'll do is I'll say, what prayer? What prayer are you talking about? And they'll say, you know, you know that, 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 that preachers, they always have it. They have a special prayer and you get it out at the right time. And I, and I repeat after you and I say your words and, and that's the magic combination and that gets me in. I prayed the prayer, so therefore I believe, so therefore I'm a Christian. I prayed the prayer. I want to say to you today that if you have simply prayed the prayer, that is no guarantee that you're a Christian. In fact, I would say this, let's go back to first century and not even call ourselves Christians because it wasn't the Christians who called themselves Christians. It was the world who called them Christians. It was the unbelieving world out there that called them Christians. It was in Antioch that the disciples, notice what they were actually called, the disciples were first called Christians. And that's in the book of Acts chapter 11, verse 26, the, in Antioch, the disciples, that's who they were, were called Christians, okay? And let's not put the emphasis on the wrong word. And sometimes I think we do that. So let me, let me show you how this, how, what, what I'm emphasizing here. Jesus says five times in Scripture, believe in me. Five times. 
believe in me. He says 20 times, follow me. There's a difference. Because if you're following, you're literally adjusting your life, living your life according to a different set of footprints on a different plane, in a different trajectory, on a different direction. Follow me means I'm living different. What we've done with believe is I believe, therefore I'm just going to just sit here and I believe now I'm a Christian. And he only says it five times. But he does say follow me. And here's another one in case that didn't catch you off guard. The term Christian is only used three times in Scripture. In case you want to check these out, Acts chapter 11, verse 26, verse 20, uh, chapter 26, verse 28, and 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. Only time the word Christian is ever used in the Scriptures, but 28 times is the word discipleship used, or disciple, excuse me, is the word disciple used. So maybe this might be a better question. It's not am I, do I believe and am I a Christian? But maybe here's the better question. Am I a disciple following, pursuing, chasing Jesus? That speaks of a totally different game. Dive in behind that, marinate in that, swim around in that because that is a difference. I am disciple. I am literally being transformed. I'm learning and I am changing and I'm altering and I'm being transformed and revolutionized. And there's all kinds of things happening inside of me. Why? Because I'm following, I'm going in a trajectory, a direction. I'm not choosing my path. I'm not saying God bless my path. I'm going the path that he's going and I'm just following him. That is what we're called to. That's the life that we were intended to live. That's the life that we're called to live. Now, I mentioned this is a chase that we're on, this pursuit. It's not a passive. It's not this laissez-faire. It's not this loafer walk through the park kind of Sunday afternoon stroll with Jesus. To follow him means to get in lockstep with him. To, to be, in, if he's moving fast, I'm moving fast. If he's going to the nations, I'm going to the nations. If, if he's uh, putting his life on the line, I'm putting my life on the line. If Jesus can do it, I will do it, okay? I'm stepping right in step with him. And so here's the question for you. How fast are you? And I mentioned this last week. I'm not going to unpack it this week like I did last week, so you can go back and listen to it. But I do want to just bring it level playing field for everyone. Fast is an acrostic for, number one, is Jesus first in my life? And if you don't know if he's first in your life or you're kind of subjective and you got this halo effect around you, yeah, I think he is, all that kind of stuff, nudge the person next to you or go home and talk to a loved one or just open up your bank account and just look at who am I loving the most? Look at your time, your calendar. Who am I loving the most? Look at your life. Who, who am I dreaming about? The, who am I daydreaming about the most? Who am I praying, talking to the most? Okay, now answer the question, is Jesus first in my life? Aggressive is the, is the letter A. And I, mean, I mentioned this last week. Again, there's so much to it. All I did last week was go through the, all the Old Testament of all the Old Testament people and all of their aggressive pursuit of God. Okay, a whole list of them. You got Abraham, Jacob, and Caleb, and David, and Hosea, and, and Isaiah, and Jeremiah. And I love Caleb's statement there. He chased God wholeheartedly. So if you really want to dive into what it means to follow Jesus, you've got to ask the question, am I wholeheartedly pursuing him? Chasing wholeheartedly. Now you 
And I should be able to peel back the layers of our heart and maybe answer that. This is what the Lord says in, or it says in the, in the, in the book of Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth. Yes, God is looking. He's looking now. He was looking then. He'll be looking tomorrow. He'll be looking next Friday night throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Wholehearted, fully committed. There's nothing passive about it. Here's a life principle for you. God is going to honor wholehearted pursuit of him. He's going to honor. Now, I don't know what that means. It's going to be, more, it's going to be different for different people. But whether God's grace is going to be sufficient or his mercy will be there to see you through or his resources will be there or, or the energy that you're lacking will be there or, or, or he'll remove part of the heavy load that you're, that you're waiting on or better yet, he gets under the load with you and you, you carry the load together. I don't know. But what it does tell me in Second Chronicles is that he will be there to strengthen the heart of the one who is fully committed to him. I'll take that, whatever that means. So God will honor the wholehearted pursuit of him. Life principle number two, God is going to vomit half-hearted pretenders. Half-hearted pretenders. Revelation chapter 3 verse 16 says, You are lukewarm. You're neither hot nor cold. I am going to vomit you out of my mouth. What a pleasant thought on a Sunday morning to talk about vomit. I've always looked for an opportunity to speak about vomit, and there it is. Selfless is what S stands for. How much am I, is my life, my agenda, my schedule, the things that I sign up for and commit to, how much of that is a God-centeredness or versus a self-centeredness? How much time do I pause and think, is this going to be a detriment to my pursuing God? Is this going to interfere with my pursuing God? Selfless, transformed. How is God revolutionizing my life? You can talk about redemption, re- restoration, uh, restoring. You can talk about, uh, I, just, I just chose the word re- How is he revolutionizing my life? He will be changing you. We're going to unpack so much of this in the weeks ahead. Take your Bibles open to the book of Mark chapter 3. I want to focus on a story that actually is not at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's actually maybe a third or maybe a quarter to a third of the way through his ministry. And uh, it's well into his ministry nonetheless because you see a lot of things that were already happening or have happened in his ministry. In fact, the whole list of them here on the screen. One, he was baptized already. So, I mean, we already know that he's at least 30 years old. And go ahead and throw that up there, guys, if you don't mind. The list of, of things. He was baptized. And, uh, and the baptism, uh, by the way, we're going to have a baptism service on the 27th. And so that's just one of the ways that we just kind of jump in and no pun intended. We, we kind of, we kind of get in line with Jesus. Okay. Jesus did it. Uh, so we're going to do it, you know, kind of thing. We're going to follow his example. It's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. I talked to one dad out in the first gathering. I think the first gathering has two children who made decisions to follow the Lord and just asked me, he said, can I baptize my children? I said, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what we want. Uh, we don't, I don't want to ever get wet again because I want everyone that you all bring to faith in Jesus, you be baptized 
chastising them uh, rather th- th- than us. And so think about that. But anyway, Jesus' ministry is well underway. You can see the list of other things. Nicodemus, woman at the well. There's a lot of believers. He's moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. He started his ministry in Capernaum. There's so many things that have already happened in his ministry. He's already called Matthew. Matthew's now following him. There's a, he, he's done miracle after miracle. And now we come to chapter 3. And we see the fruit of all of what's happening. Now look at chapter 3, verse 7. It says this, And Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea. And a great crowd followed. Don't miss that phrase. And a great crowd followed. There's a lot of people who are going to jump in the crowds, going to jump on the band, going to get on, get in on and the whole idea of even talking about this whole follow me invitation. You say, okay, they're, they're following him. There's a great crowd. Isn't that awesome? It's beautiful. It's incredible because look how far they're coming. They're coming from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Enemia, which is even further south than Judea, down near Masada and in the Dead Sea area, even in the furthest most part of the Dead Sea. And, and from beyond the Jordan, so that would be the far west west side, maybe even as far as Petra, uh, modern day Jordan and, and, and around Tyre and Sidon, which is to go all the way to the north, which would be in like Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon area. So you might talk about several hundreds of miles. Jesus has people walking for days to sit at his feet and to hear him and to see him do miracles and to be fed by like the, like the thousands of other people who got fed and just an incredible ministry that Jesus is doing. And now look on with me in, uh, in verse 9. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready. Oh, by the way, the great crowd uh, heard all that he was doing and they came to him. Now, verse 9. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd. Now, why, why is that? Because of the crowd lest they crush him. There is a mob following Jesus. Isn't this awesome? I mean, this is just incredible. You talk about church growth. You talk about movement. You talk about where can we go from here? I mean, the sky is the limit. And then he says for uh, he had a boat ready because the crowd was going to crush him. And for he had healed many and many people are now well and it's great and beautiful. And so that all who had disease pressed in around him and just to touch him, just to get close enough to touch Jesus. And now notice this, don't miss this. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, now we're not talking about humans now. We're talking about demonic evil spirits saw him. They fell down before him and they cried out, you are the son of God. Now don't miss this. Now, not a person in this room, not a person on this planet is ever going to look at a demon and they're ever going to think about a demon as ever being something you ever want to see in heaven or think about heaven or being a part of the kingdom of God or being a follower of Jesus. But they believe, don't they? Remember I said before, I said, you can say, I believe I'm a Christian, but are you? Because if you go to the book of James in your own time and you'll find that even the demons believe and here's right here where it's proof of it. The demons believe and they tremble. So is belief all you really need? Or is following, being willing to live on a new trajectory in life? When you think about this passage, 
I want us to unpack for a moment and delineate or differentiate between two sides. There is the crowd who were following him. But then there's going to be the committed. Okay? Now there's a difference because today, from here to here, we have a crowd. I don't know some of you and you don't know me and, uh, and you don't know people across the room. But hey, we got a crowd, right? We got to we'll, we'll, we'll have well over a thousand people here today. And so isn't that beautiful? We have a crowd. The crowd's not, not, not negative. I'd rather you be here than somewhere else. Okay, so not negative. But if that is all you are is a crowd, you're just a part of the gang. You're just looking for the next miracle. You're just looking for the next feeding of the thousands. You're just like, hey, I want to experience Jesus. I want a little bit of that. I want to get close to him. I want to touch him. Here's the difference between the crowd and the committed. The crowd, they're consumers. The committed are contributors. When I talk about contributors, I'm talking about eight of the 12 disciples contributed even their life. Yes, they were martyred for the cause of Christ. That we can go back and we can historically identify eight of the 12, if not all 12 of them, contributed their very blood and life. The crowd likes Jesus, what Jesus can do for them. The committed just loves Jesus. They just want to be with Jesus. Peter said, I don't have anywhere else to go. Jesus, I'm following you. I just want to be with you. The crowd is there for themselves. The committed live for the big picture. They live for the big picture. They understand it's not about themselves. They understand it's about something bigger, grander, more beautiful. The crowd looks for shortcuts. What's in it for me? I don't want to pay that price, but the committed are in it for the long haul to the very end of it all. God chasers is what I'm talking about here. They're not half-hearted, but all in, all out in their quest for Jesus. Are you a part of the crowd? Are you a part of the committed? You have to decide that. You have to dive into that yourself and peel back the layers for, uh, of that. It, it, let's, let's consider verse 12 and uh, verse 13 and following. And he went up the mountain and he called to him those whom he desired. Now, where was he? He just was at the sea, right? He just asked for a boat, right? Now he's climbing up a mountain. Now, this is why I know Jesus is a man's man, okay? He likes boats and mountains. He does. I know he likes boats because there's eight different times that he's in a boat in the Scriptures. Now, the beauty of it is he never owns a boat, all right? (laughs) See, you don't have, it affirms, you don't have to have a boat. You just have to have a friend who has a boat. And then you've got a mate. Because Jesus just kept getting into barred boats all the time. But he's also, I think he's a man's man because you see him climbing mountains. You see him climbing a mountain to give the Great Commission. You see him climbing a mountain whenever he he gave the Sermon on the Mount. You see him climbing a mountain when he calls his 12 disciples. So he climbed a mountain and he called to him whom he desired. And they came to him and he appointed 12 who he named apostles. Don't miss these next two things. 
so that, purpose clause, so that they might be with him, so that he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. And he goes right on and he lists out the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles. Don't have time to read them. They're there for you. There's a whole message under each one of them. Everyone has unique personalities, different giftings, different backgrounds. I'll I'll save that for another message on another day. Let's talk real quickly about the two intentions of Jesus and his call of his disciples. Remember I said, so that, purpose clause in in the Greek language. So that, what's, what's the intention behind, what's going on behind? Notice this, number one. Jesus wants you to be before you do. He wants you to be good. He wants you to be busy. He wants you to be hard at work. He wants you to be on a mission trip. He wants you to be teaching the kids. He wants you, no, 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 no. He wants you to be. He just wants to be with you. He just wanted to be with them. I called those who he desired why, why did he say? That he might be with them. Just being with them. Just having this relationship with God. See, what happens is we make, we make God a religion and he's not a religion. He's this relationship that he wants to have with us. We all did it, or many of us, 400 families, our individuals in our church did Experiencing God last fall this time. And in that study, reality number two, reality number one, God's always at work around us. Reality number two is that God pursues a love relationship, a continuing love relationship that is real and personal. God wants a, a relationship that is that's so beautiful and so real and so dynamic and so growing. And why does he, and how does he do it? Because he calls us to be with, just to be with him. What is your being with look like? How intentional are you? How, how much do you say, stop the madness? I'm being with God right now. I read a book this week. I'm always reading something, but I read this one book entirety from cover to cover called The Radical Disciple by John Stott. This past week, and this is what it said. If only the blindfold could be taken away from our eyes. If only we could see Jesus in the fullness of who he is and what he has done, why then surely we would see how worthy he is. Notice the phrase, it comes back again and again and again. Whole, our wholehearted allegiance and faith and love and obedience would be drawn out from us and we would grow into maturity. Nothing is more important for a mature Christian discipleship than a fresh, clear, true vision of authentic Jesus. Do you know him? What does your being with Jesus look like? 11% of our congregation said that they feel like they have an intimate relationship with God. That's deeply, deeply, deeply troubling. 
And you will not have a relationship with God ever if he is a religion and not a relationship. And you will never have a relationship with him or anybody else that you are not intentional about being with. Jesus didn't call us to do first. He called us to be with him. How do I be with him? How can I improve on that? Listen closely to his voice. You got to develop an ear for it, a soul for it, where you learn to hear and distinguish his voice from all the other voices that are clamoring out there. John 10, 3 and 4 says, The sheep hear my voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Notice the personalization. He knows every single one of the followers who are disciples of Jesus in this room today, okay? He knows you by name. He leads them out and when, and, he, and he has brought out all of his own and he goes before them. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. Do you know his voice today? Jerome said it like this, early church father, ignorance of scripture is ignorance of Christ. If you don't know Christ, see, I just want to say, if you really want to hear his voice, this right here has begun to become a daily part of who you are. Not a daily, excuse me, a moment-by-moment part of who you are. Second-by-second to where I'm literally not... not allowing decisions to be made in my life, that I'm not, it's scripture I've memorized, it's messages that I've heard, it's, it's the word of God that has spoken clearly to me that, that as Jesus said, if you abide in my word, abide in it, it lives in you, you're a part of it, it's flowing through your veins, you are truly my disciples. Number two, stay close to his body. Think about it. Using the metaphors that, that God used in the scripture, his voice, hearing his voice, being with, you want to be, you want to be with him. Okay. Hear his voice and distinguish his voice from all the others, but also get close to his body. Okay. Like a child nestled next to its mother in a fearful storm at night or, or, or a son seeking the advice of a parent because he's making life altering decisions. You get close. You don't stay away. You don't arm, stiff arm Heisman God. You get close. Now, where's the body? Where do you find the body? You find in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says the, you are the body. You are the body and individually members of it. And so we though many, we are one body. It says in Romans 12, 5, it says you're one body in Christ and individually members of one another. The church the church. Hey, listen, I'm not trying to talk you into Grace Point Church. Please don't even hear that. In fact, if you come to North Point at the end of September, I'm probably going to try to talk you out of it because here's what I, I can do. I've learned this. If I can talk you out of it, God did not call you to it. If God called you to it, I can't talk you out of it. So if God's called you wherever he's called you to the body, whatever body he's called you to, whatever church he's called you to, you go be there and you be all there. All there. Fully vested there, ready to serve there, ready to become there. And let that be part of the nurturing incubator of where God speaks to us. The second intention is not only that we would be with, but that 
Jesus wants us sent so that he can reach. He could do it without us. He could have done it with the angels. He could have tattooed his way of hope and life and truth on the body of every person that was ever born in this world. He could have written it on the clouds, but he didn't. What he did is he put it and he wrote it on every one of our hearts. See, being with Jesus will fuel the mission of Jesus. Otherwise, if you didn't hear the first part of the message, you're just hearing, oh no, this is where he's going to ask us to go. This is where he's going to ask us to serve. This is where he's going to, no, no, stop. Don't even do that. First be with and let that fuel inside of you something. We say it at the the end of every one of our gatherings, live sent, live sent. Why do we do that? Because we're believing that hopefully, prayerfully, you've been with and you have heard God either through the message, either through the scriptures, either through a testimony, either through a prayer, either through a song, that you've been with the body of Christ. You have had an environment where you have heard the voice of Christ and hopefully now you're ready to go and live sin because that's exactly what Jesus said to do in Mark chapter, what he intended for us to do. He says he appointed the 12 so that they might be with and that he might send them out to preach that we might be a part of the going. I I said it last week, I'll say it until it becomes a mantra in our head, is I am a disciple, you are a disciple, I am a disciple to make disciples. If I am not making disciples, I'm not in line. I'm not living in obedience at the end of Jesus' ministry, climb that mountain again. You read it in Matthew chapter 28. Got to the top of the mountain. Got his mountain climbing buddies with him. And he said, what he said? He says, I want you to go into all the nations and I want you to make disciples. I am a disciple to make disciples. Literally, I get to add to, I get to invest my life in, I get to give myself to, I get to give my energy, my time, my talents, my treasures to helping other people become disciples of Christ. That's why one of the reasons that we exist as Grace Point Church is we exist to activate and arm our members for two things. Mission, or excuse me, ministry happens inside the church. Mission happens outside the church. Real simple. Get outside these four walls. We want you living on mission for God. Inside these four walls, we want you living in ministry, serving, helping, loving one another. But not until you first learn to be with. And let the, the being with Jesus fuel the mission of Jesus inside of you. Let, let me close with this because I know it's the DNA of our church. It's always been there that we, 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 we challenge. We're not going to just set soak and sour, okay? We're going to challenge you out and beyond yourself. But let me talk about some degrees of this and think about it as this fruit tree. Let's just talk about the low-lying fruit of how can I be a disciple who makes disciples. 
Just just the low-lying fruit, okay? That's all we're going to talk about right this minute. The low-lying fruit is the fruit that you don't even have to stand on your tiptoes. You just walk up to it. You shake a limb and it falls and you just you grab it and you can get it by the basket full. You know what happens every single week when it takes 350 people of volunteers to serve the people of Grace Point and to teach these little young souls and minds about Jesus? And I call them the low-lying fruit because literally the mamas and daddies drop them off at the doors. They come in and they sit down and they're like sponges. Teach me. You want to pray? Okay, let's pray together. You want to read the scriptures? Okay, let's read the scriptures together. You want to color and do artwork and tell a Bible story? Okay, let's do that together. You don't get any resistance. You don't have to debate them. You don't have to talk about the creation of the earth. You don't have to talk about old earth, new earth. You don't have, you don't have to do any of that. They're just sponges. It blows my mind. When Leodra texted me yesterday and said, I can't get 20 people to serve in Kid Nation. Blows my mind. I'm a disciple to make disciples. There's a whole list of opportunities inside the four four walls of our church that are at the bottom of your worship guide. Feel free to pray and act. Be with and then act. Let's talk about the mid-level fruit. Now this fruit you can't, because see, the, 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 the low-lying fruit, it's about mm, an hour, hour and a half, maybe two hours of commitment a week. You've got to prepare for it, and you've got to come to it. You've got to prepare for it one day a week. Prepare for it, come to it. Now let's talk about the next layer. The next layer, oh, this may take a little bit more of you. It's going to take time. It's going to take time away. We talk about global adventures. We talk about going around the nations. We talk about going to these unreached people groups. We talk about drilling wells. We talk about building orphanages. And now this may require you to step outside of your comfort zone, pay a little, give up some vacation time, and go to the nations. I'm leading a team of nine, all diverse group of people to Mozambique in a few weeks, in fact, 60 days to be exactly as of today. And I got an email this morning from the missionary who's there. He said, Mike, we're going to a new village that there is not a single gospel witness, not one believer at all anywhere in that village. And you're going to go into that village and you get to be one of the first people to take the gospel in. Wow. Wow. What an incredible opportunity. But I'll tell you what, that's fruit that's a little higher. Next Sunday, we're going to have what's called world changers. And if you want to be a world changer and want to pick some fruit a little higher, let's talk. Make disciples a little further, let's talk. Call that West Point. But there's another layer. We'll call that the high fruit. Because we're the low fruit, one to two hours a week, one day a week. This is two weeks out of, my, out of my life. This is investing a lot longer time. Now let's talk about something that's going to require 365 days a year and 24-7. This is at the top of the tree, fruit. But this is the fruit that, that I think that is sometimes neglected because we can't get to it. And it takes help. It takes extras. It takes ladders. It takes, I need help getting to the top of that tree if I'm going to be able to get that fruit. But that's the fruit that may be the ripest, the soonest, and maybe the needed to be picked the soonest because it's so precious and it's so tender. And the sun is beating down on it. 
We have a ministry around here called Mosaic where we just kind of reach into people's homes when volunteer families step up and say, you know what, I have an empty bed and I have an empty place setting and I have an empty seat in my car and there's 500 kids on any given day of the week that doesn't have a mama and a daddy, that doesn't have a home, that doesn't have a seat in a car, that doesn't have a bed to lay their head down, that doesn't have a place at a table. And we just ask our members, would you consider? Would you pray about it? It takes a lot more. And we've had some families that have done it and they've foster parented 20 kids. And it's hard because the heat has been beating on, the, on that fruit a long time. But it's beautiful when we together as a community come together with a ladder and I'm at top and you, I'll hold the ladder as you climb up and you hand down the fruit and we work together at it. We do it together. And we'll close with one verse and I want you to read it out loud with me. John chapter 15, verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit There's fruit to be gotten. There's fruit to be harvested.